What's up, everybody, and welcome back on in to the midweek show for the BOTB Football Podcast, our live show that takes place every Sunday. This is our midweek version, and if you're new to the midweek show, what we do here is we kind of break down the results from Sunday's games, because we don't get really get a chance to do that. We're obviously previewing the day, and so this is a chance to kind of look back and uh, talk about what's going on in, in the in the wide world of football. I am your host, Zach Zook. We'll hear from all the panelists, though, because we will also pick the Thursday games on this show. TJ, Nick, and Big Web will will get us their picks. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about the Minnesota Vikings and their issues. It feels like there are some deep-seated issues in that locker room for a team that has so much talent. They missed the playoffs last year, and they're not off to a great start this year. They just got clobbered by the Bears, and the Bears are a good football team, so I don't think we can overreact too much to that, but but I want to dive into that, and then I want to talk about the Falcons, because the Atlanta Falcons, I did their game for Pro Football Focus, and Man, they they just look so bad offensively, so we'll talk about them. And then let's take stock. We're through the first month of the NFL season. We have played four weeks, so we'll take stock of where everybody's at, what has surprised us, what we thought uh, wasn't going to happen that has happened, and vice versa, what has pretty much occurred as we expected. So, but let's get into the podcast. Before we do that, I want to hear from our sponsors. We got Cafe Telegraph, who uh, is so gracious to us, we... They host us for our live show every Sunday morning. Cafe T is awesome. Great place to watch a football game. Can't say enough about them. We have Kay Roberts with Remax Gold, fantastic real estate agent in the St. Louis area. Listen to Big Web's plugs for her on Sunday because he can get more specific with the, the specific real estate that she is she's moving at a given time so if you're looking to make a move or you need a real estate agent k roberts is a great way to go we have the stl distillery and i've heard sure i'm sure you've heard this just beaten to death but we're gonna keep doing it because it's that cool vodka distilled from craft beer uh really a unique thing they got going on there great date night idea so uh so head on over and check them out then we got family finance mortgage sarah baron uh she does uh mortgage refinance and regular uh a mortgage so give sarah baron a call with family finance mortgage let's get into the show Let's talk about these Minnesota Vikings here. They have gotten off to a bit of a rocky start throughout the first couple of weeks of this NFL season. They're already 0-2 in the division, taking losses to the Packers in Week 2 and now the Bears in Week 4. Saving grace for Minnesota is that both of those games have been on the road. So they will get to see the Packers and the Bears both at U.S. Bank Stadium. And I think it'll go differently when it's in Minnesota. But I want to just talk about kind of this team, their story. Because it is one of the most intriguing stories in all the NFL. And you really have to track it back to the hire of Mike Zimmer. This is a team that just was a doormat in the NFC North before the hiring of Mike Zimmer. And he started to kind of change the culture and the way they played football. They would have kind of one-off years here and there. Of course, the Brett Favre year was their most successful year pretty much, you know, since 2000. But they were unable to really sustain any success. 
in kind of this modern era, at least since I've been watching football. And when Zimmer got hired, that kind of changed everything. Zimmer was a DC in Cincinnati, and he's he's a gruff, he's a hard ass man, and he's old school. And he started to build that mentality on that football team. And they just started drafting defense, left and right. They get Xavier Rhodes out of Florida State. They get Anthony Barr out of UCLA. They go back and grab Eric Kendricks out of UCLA as well, one of Anthony Barr's teammates. They get Trey Waynes out of, out of Michigan State. I think they already had Harrison Smith by the time uh, Zimmer was on board, but De Harrison Smith out of the University of Notre Dame. They got Everson Griffin, uh, Daniil Hunter. I think Daniil Hunter, LSU. So they really started to put some draft capital into their defense. And that was obviously something that Spielman and Zimmer had discussed in the interview, and it was a clear direction they wanted to take the team. So they build this defensive juggernaut. They become one of the best defensive teams in the NFC, really in the league there for a while. And it really was, I mean, they were just, their offense wasn't very good. And then you get the explosion of Stephon Diggs, fifth round pick out of Maryland. You get Adam Thielen, and all of a sudden they're a pretty good one-two punch. And Dalvin Cook out of Florida State's a pretty good back. And then, you know, it, it looks like they're starting to gear up to really become Super Bowl contenders, and boom. Teddy has one of the most freak injuries we've seen for an NFL player, really, I think, last 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, Alex Smith, I think, is right up there with freak injuries, but that was after the Bridgewater injury. And so then they have to kind of go back to the drawing board because they have this great roster and this limited window in which they can compete. So So they kind of make a little bit of a panic move, and they bring in Sam Bradford, which... Actually, I mean, he he was really good when he was healthy, but the problem was you gambled on a guy that had a terrible injury history. So they just have not been able to figure out the quarterback situation. Well, you got three guys on the roster, Bradford, Keenum, and Teddy Bridgewater that next season. And I think we're talking, we're talking 2017 here. And Bradford starts the year, does okay, gets hurt. Keenum comes in, does okay has some bad throws, they're kind of eh on Case Keenum, but then the team starts to find its groove a little bit. They start winning football games, and they really heat up down the stretch, and it just felt like that year was the year for Minnesota. They get into the playoff game against the Saints, they have the Minnesota Miracle, and track all the Super Bowl winners back through through the history of the league. You you usually need a lucky break like that to win a championship. It's true in all sports. The David Tyree catch with the Giants is true for most Super Bowl winners, most professional league champions. You need the ball to roll your way a little bit because professional sports are just too hard. So it just really felt like, and uh, the Barstool guys joke about this all the time, Team of Destiny. It had that feel for Minnesota. So they make it to the NFC Championship. They got a backup quarterback in Nick Foles, and they just get drubbed by the RPO. Absolutely annihilated in Philly. And then Philly goes on to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, a great job by Doug Peterson, and they had to have a couple things bounce their way too, a couple big turnovers. They had to fight through their quarterback getting injured in Carson Wentz, and then Nick Foles goes on this magical run. They had the Team of Destiny feel as well. But I remember watching them get blown out by the Eagles. It was a night game at the link, and it was really, I mean, from Jump Street, they just got their ass kicked. 
and the defense got it handed to him, and Zimmer didn't look very good. He was completely outclassed and outcoached in that game. And I remember thinking that was their chance, and that they blew it. I mean, that was their chance to win the Super Bowl for the first time in franchise history, and they're never going to get another chance because the, the stars aligned for them. The Bears still had John Fox that year, so they were terrible. It was Trubisky's rookie year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had gone down week four. Anthony Barr, I believe, was the one that hurt him. And the, they basically had a cakewalk through the division. And they had it set up for them. They even had, they would have had home field advantage in the Super Bowl, guys. It was at U.S. Bank. And they were a game away from getting there. And they blew it. And I remember thinking, that was it. That was your chance and you blew it. So then they get to the offseason and they're, they're, they're a QB away, right? And they give Kirk Cousins all this money. And since it has been a dumpster fire, an absolute dumpster fire, they have an 8-8 eight and eight feel to them again. And they came out of the gates on fire with Kirk last season. And I applauded the free agent signing. I think they were a quarterback away, and I think you can win with Kirk. But the problem was Kirk folded in big games, and then after you saw him lose his confidence, you really saw his weaknesses and his limitations. And that's what drove them to 8-8, eight and eight, and then the media scrutiny got even bigger. And I think Zimmer is hugely to blame for that because of his comments in the postgame pressers, because of his firing of the OC at the time, uh, DiFilippo, John DiFilippo, who is with the Jags now, uh, it, it was just, it was really bad. Remember that Thursday night game they played in LA against the Rams, the high-flying offense on both sides? In like two months, they had fired the OC. It was the craziest turnaround, and I think we're seeing it spill over into this year. And it's become pretty clear at this point to me that the Kirk Cousins contract is a dark cloud hanging over that locker room. And it is causing so many issues. And not only has their Super Bowl window closed, they're going to have to probably start from scratch. Because Zimmer's style is not working. He, he has not inspired confidence in his offense, and especially not Kirk Cousins. And he needs to. And his hard-ass style of coaching is awesome. I love it. And the defense really thrives off of it. But he has to just leave the offense alone and not come down on them when they have bad games if that's the style he wants to play. And since he has his hands in the offensive side of the ball, now they've tried to go to the real run-first team, run-heavy, and their offensive line sucks. And... It just feels like they're going to have to start over, and they're not going to be able to start over until they get out of this Cousins deal, and they can't get out of it until the end of 2020. So, man, the Vikings are in trouble. And if you're a Vikings fan, I don't know what you hope for. I think you have to root for Kirk to turn it around. And maybe the the media in the city will kind of embrace him because, hey, like we're in bed with you. You're in bed with us. We're stuck like this, so let's just get better. And maybe after a while, he will be able to figure it out. But right now, it's really clear that he is in his head, and he does have limitations as a quarterback, but he's playing so much worse than we even saw him play with the Washington Redskins. And you don't just get that that much physically worse overnight. So 
We'll see if they can figure it out. Tough start to the season. Certainly not over by any means. They have the Giants this week. They're only 2-2. Two and two. They can get back on track, but 0-2 to the division, and they didn't look good doing it against the Bears. Not a good start. As is the life of a grinder, I was not able to watch much of the Sunday night game because I was doing some work. I had the Atlanta Falcons and the Tennessee Titans for Pro Football Focus, and I had some takeaways that really it amazed me how much stuck out that you don't really see on TV. I mean, we can look at the offense. We know what good offense looks like, and we know what bad offense looks like. But to actually see it like from what the coaches are probably looking at and to see what they're trying to do, like a, that, that view you have, it's, it has all 22 players. So you, I think, get it's, – it's a more all-encompassing view factually, but being able to take a step back from it too without the pageantry of the broadcast and everything and the live-action game going on, it allows you to just kind of sit there – and evaluate it for what it is at face value. And the Atlanta Falcons offense is one of the worst products I have ever seen in offensive football. And this is coming from a Michigan fan who watches their offense every weekend. It is abysmal in Atlanta. And I don't know what the deal is. You know, usually I have a take or I have, you know, I it's it, you can put a finger on it. And before this season... My go, it was re- really simple to me. Sarkeesian's not a, he was probably the worst OC in the league last, the last couple years. Since Kyle Shanahan left and he took over, it was really clear the drop off in the offensive genius. And Dan Quinn fired all three of his OCs. He was the only coach in the history of the NFL to fire all three of his OCs and keep his job. So he brings in Dirk Cutter as the OC. Ex-Bucks coach in the division, and for what it's worth, I think Dirk's a pretty good guy. It, the offense was never really the problem in Tampa Bay. It was the, the Swiss cheese defense, and, and Jameis threw picks, a, a ton of them. So you felt with Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Devonta Freeman, they're going to be really good, and it is just terrible. It's tough to watch. It really is tough to watch. Their routes are not crisp. It feels like they run into the defenders like every time. Every time they try to go down the field, they're just running into defenders. And they're they're stepping right on their routes, and they can't even run their routes right. It, it's, it's the most basic elementary stuff that they can't figure out. And then you go look at the box score, and Matt Ryan throws it 50 times because their running game is non-existent. And I know the offensive line isn't that great, but... The fact that their run game is as bad as it is, is really, really alarming. Because with Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman, obviously Coleman gone now, their one-two punch was pretty successful, and it's becoming more and more obvious as the weeks go on that that was really the impetus of their success. With the Shanahan outside zone running scheme, they had a ton of success with Freeman and Coleman because everything built off of that. And then when they had Sarkeesian, they weren't really able to run as well. And their red zone offense was complete garbage. And when you cannot run the ball in the red zone, and you can't even threaten to do it, 
there's so many bodies clogged up down there that it's you're unable to spread the defense out and pass. It's hard to pass in the red zone. It really doesn't matter what your skill level is as a receiver or a pass catcher when you get into the red zone because it's all about scheme. And the good guys like McVay, like Shanahan, like some of these offensive play designers that have been doing it for a while, Sean Payton's another one that comes to mind, they can scheme you open in the red zone. They have red zone plays specifically designed for that, but Sarkeesian had no idea how to do it, and I don't think Dirk Cutter's very good at it either. The Falcons crossed midfield plenty of times in that game and just stalled out every single time. And and I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, obviously they need to run the football. I mean, that's a pretty pretty easy, you know, assumption to make. You know, that's an easy observation that, that clearly when you have to pass it 50 times, you're probably going to lose. But why aren't they running the football? Why are they so unsuccessful? Is it because of the play design? Is it because the offensive line isn't doing its job? You know, it, it really is a sad state of affairs for Atlanta, and and I know I'm banging on them. I'm going to pick them on the road here at 1-3 and three because right when you think everybody's done and out in this league, that's when they get a win. So I'm going to pick them to cover the spread, whatever it is, I think five, six points uh, against the Texans on the road because that's just the way it goes in this league. But my takeaways from that game is just I think more of it now falls on Dan Quinn and maybe we had unfairly placed some blame on some other guys. Now, Sark sucks, too. Sucks complete ass. But I don't think Dan Quinn's really elevating the team or doing them any favors because the defense looks like shit, too. So hopefully the Falcons can figure it out. They're another team. I mean, them in Minnesota, it's just I, you look at the roster, and it just doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. And it proves why this is a management league. This isn't the NBA where you can get a couple of superstars, and it doesn't really matter. You're going to win. This is a management league. You can have all the talent in the world, but you're going to get your ass kicked by Belichick because he's better than you. Name, name the superstars on New, England, New England's roster. I mean, we, we, this is, this is kind of crazy. I don't even believe this because I think Tom's awesome. But would we think of Tom in the same light had he been drafted by the Redskins? Seriously, think about that. How much of Tom's greatness is derived from the success they've had with Belichick? And he's not a system QB. That argument's bullshit. He would have had success anywhere he went. But I don't know if he would have had this level of success. Do you think he has as many rings as he has without Belichick? Belichick has won them a lot of, a lot of football games because he's a goddamn genius. And the Falcons clearly don't have that. They're devoid of offensive creativity. And when the swamp was drained after their NFC championship year and the year they blew it in the Super Bowl, 28-3, to they have not been the same since. And I think it's very obvious that Kyle Shanahan was the one driving that ship, and the second he left, they went back to shit again. And I don't think it's the player's fault. I don't think Matt Ryan sucks. I don't think Julio sucks. I don't think it's the personnel. I really don't. Because this is the same group of guys that went to a Super Bowl, and... The guys they've drafted recently on both sides of the ball have been good. So it's very clear that I think a coaching decision, a coaching change is going to be made in Atlanta. I think they're a good enough team. Like the baseline of talent is just too good for them to win three, four games. But six and 10, seven and nine, it's looking more and more realistic, especially with the Panthers growing week by week. Same with the Bucks under Arians. 
you know, it'll be interesting to see how they fare when they get into the division, but uh, not looking good for the Dirty Birds. All right, gut check time, stock exchange. Let's see, take stock of these teams through the first month of the season. We're a quarter of the way home. If you don't count the the week 17, obviously you're a little under with the bye weeks, but uh, uh, four weeks down in the NFL. And uh, let's go conference by conference here. We'll start in the AFC. What has surprised us about the results of these games throughout the first month of the season and and what really has transpired as you would have thought preseason? Uh, the Patriots being 4-0 can't surprise anybody, but I think them sweeping the month of September is actually really surprising. Uh, the defense has looked as good as it ever has. Remember those terrible defenses under Matt Patricia? They just couldn't get it figured out, it felt like. And that was when they really had their September struggles. Then they figured out a little bit under Brian Flores, but they still got killed by the Lions on Sunday Night Football and then rebounded to have a really pretty good defense by the end of the year. They haven't missed a beat out of the gate, and the defense has suffocated everyone they've played. Pretty easy schedule, but, you know, you play who's in front of you and, uh, I, I put the Pats up against anybody the way they're rolling right now. It'll be interesting to see how they look as the season progresses because I, I if you watch the game based on the eye test, they aren't they don't look invincible out there. Uh, the Bills had plenty of chances to win that game on Sunday and just kind of were the Bills couldn't couldn't find a way to do it. But uh, especially on the offensive side of things, Brady does not look invincible. It's the defense that has carried them. So I, I, I am surprised at the fact that they're 4-0 through the first four. I saw 3-1 and probably. I honestly thought that they they had a decent shot to lose that Bills game. When you went down the schedule at the start of the year, you just knew Miami was going to be so bad that they probably wouldn't lose that second game of the year in Miami. But it felt like the Bills week four was that September loss if they were going to have it. And, and they withstood it. They won 16-10. to So the Bills being 3-1 and and 3-0 and before they played the Pats, I think it's got to be pretty surprising as well. I think, myself included, I thought the Jets out of those, you knew one of those two teams with their second year quarterbacks was going to take a step forward. I thought it was going to be the Jets. I thought they were a little bit further along personnel wise, but Sean McDermott is a good ass head coach. He is really good. He knows what the hell he's doing. And the defensive personnel is so underrated. You haven't heard of many of these guys, but if you start going down the list, they really are incredible. They have Jerry Hughes coming off the edge. In the secondary, they are really impressive with Tredevious White, one of the best young corners in the league out of LSU out there, along with Micah Hyde. Jordan Poyer is no joke. Their defense is legit, and it is for real. And I think they're going to be around to stay this season. I mean, the, the Bills are going to be a tough out, especially at home and especially once it gets cold. The, the worry for me is, is just Josh Allen. And I told you guys I was rooting for him so much in that game. I've been rooting for him his whole career because he's just such a good guy. But I wouldn't have touched him out of college. And again, it has nothing to do with the person. It's just he's not he's not accurate. And you saw that. Those those interceptions he threw on Sunday were terrible. I mean, terrible throws, terrible decisions, and terribly inaccurate. And before he got knocked out, he he did not have a good game. You looked at the talent on both sides of the field. It looked pretty equal. It felt like the one guy holding the Bills back was Josh Allen, unfortunately. And I don't think he's a bust. You, you can't, you know, it's one game. But he he definitely was the one that held them back. 
because if it wasn't for Frank Gore, the ageless wonder doing his thing, you know, they probably do get blown out in that one. Uh, you go to the AFC North, Browns still tied for first after they rebound against the Ravens, but I think, and I personally never bought into this hype train with Freddie Kitchens. It was such a question mark, and the personnel they had put together, you felt, I thought the Super Bowl aspirations and the division title that they were writing up for these guys before the season started, you know, in winter was just ridiculous. And I think that has bared itself out here over the first month. I had them as a wild card team. I still feel really confident about that. But the one thing that's been surprising to me has been how well the Ravens have done. This explosion of Lamar Jackson. Now again, he had a rough game this weekend too. And I told you, told everybody last week, I, I'm not buying it yet. I, I think he's still really inaccurate. And I don't think he's very good. He does so much with his legs that he helps out. And he, he has been much better. He has been much better than last year, but I, I, I don't, I'm slow to buy into that offense and, and their quarterback situation, but it does feel like they're the front runners in the AFC North right now to repeat with the Steelers and Big Ben Dunn, that organization, are they going to fire Mike Tomlin at the end of the season? That feels like a pretty real possibility. Uh, so, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Browns could win the division, but I would say the Ravens are probably the, the favorites at this point, and that's that's a team I thought was going to miss the playoffs this year. So uh, I was wrong about that one. That has been a surprise to me, uh, just how well they've come out because I didn't I didn't expect their offense to play as well as they did through the first couple weeks of the season. And and this is this is the most hilarious thing ever in the AFC South. Every every single team's two and two. It, it, nine and seven is winning that division. Like. It was the. It's so obvious because they're all so close together. There's not a bad team in that division. I also don't know if there's a really good team in that division. They're all kind of about the same. They lose games they shouldn't lose. They'll sneak up and win a game you don't think they're going to win. And they all are going to hover around 500, barring like a quarterback injury. One team just gets crushed with injuries. Maybe then you see one team pull back out of the race. But they're all 2-2. Two and two. And I'm telling you, it's just going to be about tiebreakers. It's going to be about who's more successful in the division. I think the Titans at 9-7 and seven are going to win it with the tiebreakers. I think the Houston Texans are probably the front runners. Maybe I'm sleeping on the Colts, but they just got their ass kicked at home by the Raiders. So I'm feeling a little bit better about that. And, and the Jaguars, Minshew Mania, can't sleep on them. I thought they were going to kind of go away. And that has not been the case. I think you got to start talking. I mean, after this comeback he led in Denver, not easy to win up there. Especially early in the season in the elevation. I I think I think Foles is done in Jacksonville, man. That might be a hot take, but Minshew is your future if you're if you're a Jaguars fan. He's the, he's the guy, and you start building around him because I tell you what, they, he's got it, man. Whatever it is, he's got it. He's got the leadership, he's got the team, and he's got the talent and the poise and the accuracy to be successful in the NFL. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks going right now. You get the Chiefs at 4-0, a couple 2-2 teams with the Raiders and Chargers and the Broncos 0-4. Only thing that's surprising to me about this, I would have flip-flopped the Broncos and the Raiders. I would have figured the Broncos had a better shot to go 500, and I would have figured the Raiders would have been 0-4. They're still very much in the mix, although you got to think, just let time run its course, and they're going to get their, start getting their ass kicked here. Move over to the NFC. Cowboys in front of that division. Eagles at 2-2. Uh, 
I like the Cowboys to win that division, Eagles to get to the wild card. That's kind of how it's looking so far. It doesn't feel like the Eagles get much going easy right now, but I, it, it, give this team some time. I think they're going to be a second-half team, and uh, it's a long year. I mean, I think the December Eagles are going to look a lot different than the September Eagles. In the North, you have quite possibly what looked like one of the best divisions in football. Uh, the Vikings are in fourth place at 2-2. Two and two. The Lions at two one and one, Bears and Packers tied atop at three and one. Uh, this this is going to be a division to be reckoned with. I don't really think there's a bad team in this division. I think that I got to kind of back up uh, on on my take on the Lions. I crushed them after they tied the Cards, and they they're a decent football team. Uh, I I they blow it in big moments. They should have lost against the Eagles, and uh, they kind of pissed away a game against the Chiefs. But I think you just saw. Talent-wise, they could hang, and uh, that was a big, big prove-it game for them at home. Although they lost, that was a competitive game, and it required a fourth-quarter comeback from Patty Mahomes to do it. So nothing to hang their heads about. Really excited to see the division games, and thankful as a Packers fan that uh, the Cheeseheads are already 2-0 in the division because it's going to be a slaughterhouse in the north. Uh, in the south, who would have thought the Saints, with Drew Brees out uh, in Week 2, that they would be able to go three and one and, and win and win there. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has been exceptional. They're three and one, and I kind of wrote them off after Drew Brees got hurt, and I don't I don't think I should have done that. Uh, they're my preseason pick to win the South, but I thought the Falcons would be a heck of a lot better than they are. They're a dumpster fire. Panthers have kind of come back after it was looking like they were going to be terrible to start the year. And then lastly, I think the big big surprise is the Niners. 3-0 in the NFC West. They still got to prove a lot in the division, but maybe it feels like the hype was finally worth it. They've finally been able to stay healthy, and Shanahan's got that offense rolling. Let's get into these picks. We have a great Thursday night game on tap. It's the Rams traveling to take on the Seahawks at the 12th man in primetime. Huge division game between what I think are the two most talented teams in the division. I know we just got done talking about the 49ers and how they've been somewhat of a surprise at 3-0 coming off a bye. But uh, the, the Rams head out on the road after losing at home to the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, you just hate to see it, but I called it. They were my dog, and I said that... They had a chance to win that game outright, and holy shit, they, they did it. And they looked pretty good doing it. I mean, it was it was an ass-beating. Give the Rams credit for coming back and at least making that a game. Goff fumbles uh, to kind of end it, but they had a chance to go down there and uh, send it to overtime. Uh, I can't remember if, if they'd scored a touchdown. Maybe they would have won that in, in regulation. A- anyways... Uh, they, they now, after blowing what should have been an easy one, they have to go on the road and take on their division rival, whereas the Seahawks now, coming off a win, will uh, try to get healthy and get a division lead. It's, it's going to be a great football game, and uh, we'll hear from the panelists, uh, TJ, Nick, and Big Web. Nick, of course, with his fantasy football advice. So let's send it to the guys, see what they're thinking for Thursday. What's up, Mr. Zook? What's up, guys? How's it going? And gals listening to the BOTV Midweek Show, football show. Um, So no winery this week, just uh, driving in my car. Yes, I have my hands on the wheel. This is all just on speakers. No worries. Um, This week, Thursday night football, really good game. Seattle hosting the the Los Angeles Rams. 
Seattle's minus one and a half at home as they are three and one, second in the NFC West at the moment. Rams are also three and one. Um, tough loss last week, 55-40 to the Buccaneers. I mean, if anybody out there thought the Bucs would not only win the game, win it by 15 points, but then also score 55 on the Los Angeles defense in L.A., I mean, shit. I mean, if you had that on a podcast or something recorded, like put it out there, you might go viral. Um, you know, the only thing I really took out of that in this case was the fact that the Rams still scored 40. They scored over 20 points in each of their games thus far, 3-1 and one, as I mentioned. The Seahawks have had one bad game, really, which they lost to the Drew Brees-less New Orleans Saints. And, yeah, the score says they won or they lost only by six, but they were back pretty good in the first quarter. They really didn't play well in the entire first half. And I, even though the Saints have won two straight without Brees, I just don't think they're for real. But, you know, if you do that against a team like the Rams and you have a slow first quarter if it's at home too – um, the Rams, I think, have a good enough offense to really step on your toes and, and get an early 10-point lead. The fact that not only, you know, I like them in this game, they're also getting one and a half, so it's basically a pick them. Um, you got to take the Rams in this one. This, this offense is too good. They've been able to find Cooper Cup through the middle, especially. You know, they have too many weapons. They're going to be able to run the ball with Gurley a little bit. And the only thing that gets me is the fact that it's in Seattle. The 12th man is going to be up and alive. That one does scare me a little bit being a divisional game. Um, but if I had to put my money on it, I would go with the Rams in this one. But my, my recommendation is do not put money on it. Just pick it. Just have some bragging rights because this game could go either way. But if I had to pick it, um, I take the Rams plus one and a half just because of the weapons they've had. And uh, I think that their defense will step up. They're got, they got to be pissed off. They got to be pissed off after giving up 55 to Jameis Winston. So the defense will show up. The offense will do enough. And uh, I don't think Seattle is going to be good enough to, out to score with them. So give me the Rams plus one and a half. Mr. Zook, Big Web here. Hey, buddy, just a little update on uh, Thursday night. First of all, congratulations on that pick with Tampa Bay. That was solid, and reaching your neck out there, and you made it happen. It was a beautiful pick. Congrats on that. Hey, uh, as far as Thursday night game, uh, Big Web is, like, in the tank on Thursday nights. I'm over on Thursday nights, but let me tell you, I would go with the Rams here in a tight game, and I would go under just based on what the Rams have been doing the last few weeks. Uh, I know they blew it up. Uh, James Winston blew it up with them, but uh, I, I don't think Seattle's got that kind of pop, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a back-and-forth game. The over-under is 49. I kind of like the under. I kind of like the Rams, but I've been doing so crappy on Thursday nights. You should take Seattle in the over. <laughs> Sorry I'm no help, man. See ya. What's up, gentlemen? Nick Yale here again for another week of my NFL selection for Thursday night football between the Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. Boys, I did not have a good week this week, and I'm uh, I'm looking to rebound here. I don't do very well on Thursday night football. Uh, I lost my lock. I bet the mortgage on Atlanta, so I'm homeless now. So Atlanta screwed me once again uh, this past week. So not really feeling it, but uh, excited to get back there to Cafe Telegraph this weekend with you guys and make some good picks and get back on top wearing the crown. So this week, uh, as far as fantasy goes, I got one pickup for you, and that's Ronald Jones of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's having a pretty good season. He's getting over 15 carries a game, and he's found the end zone a couple times this year already. And 
So he's got some favorable matchups down the line. Still has his bye week coming up. But the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Zook told you uh, last week, take Tampa Bay, and boy, he was right. I thought he was an idiot for picking the Buccaneers against the Rams, and they just throttled him. I mean, after a couple poor weeks for Jameis Winston, he's come back out and uh, found his wide receivers in Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans week after week, and it looks like their offense is clicking on all cylinders. And when their passing game is going, their running game's also going. So definitely want to stash Ronald Jones, even if you're not going to use him in uh, these next couple matchups. He has a couple tough ones coming up. Definitely have him on your bench. Get him off the waiver wire and, and reserve him for uh, a week, couple weeks down the road when he's got some favorable matchups, one against Arizona. He'll be a nice pickup for you. So as far as the game goes this week, I'm looking for the Rams to bounce back against Seattle, even though it is one of the loudest stadiums in, uh, in all of football. Seahawks Stadium and Chiefs Stadium are two of the loudest in all of football. And I think the Rams, after getting absolutely dismantled by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are going to go into Seattle and hopefully steal one. Looking for uh, Todd Gurley, Cooper Cup, my fantasy guys, to have a big game there. And I think they're going to put up some points and get a nice rebound win. Both teams 3-1. and one. It's a pick em here. I think the spread's currently at minus 1.5. Correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, give me the Rams to have a big game offensively. Seahawks, though, will show up a fight. But I think uh, Rams will take this one on the road to move to 4-1. and one. All right, boys. We'll see you Sunday. There you have it, Nick Yale's fantasy football ad drops and the picks from the guys. Uh, I'm going to roll with the Rams on this one on the road. I know they looked like absolute dog shit against the Bucks, but that's what this league is. It is very week to week, and I think the Rams, who have had success against the Seahawks under Sean McVay, will look good in prime time on the road short week. I think they're going to play much better than they did at home on Sunday. I think it'll be a really close game. That's why it's one and a half. I don't really anticipate either team running away with this thing. But I think the Rams are a little bit better than the Seahawks. I think they have more talent. Uh, I think they're kind of the front runners in the division too. So just give me the better football team in this one. You're only getting a point and a half, so it's basically a pick em. And picking against the Seahawks when they're at home in primetime with the 12th man is a risky proposition. But uh, I I really do think Sean McVay and uh, Jared Goff and the Rams are going to right the ship. I also think that defensive front against the Rams is going to give the Seahawks trouble. If the Seahawks can't run the ball, I mean, they're they're pretty run heavy, especially on early downs. I think that they could struggle. And with Aaron Donald in the interior of the Rams defense, I think that they could be able to to shut them down early in that game and, and force Russell Wilson to, to use some magic to beat him, which he's capable of doing. But I mean man, I can't wait to can't wait to watch this game. Whoever shits on Thursday night football, like I I, I don't know like if they they even still exist anymore, but how can you not love Thursday night football? You get Bears Packers week one, you get uh, Packers-Eagles was a great game last Thursday. And then you're getting Seahawks-Rams. I mean, man, Thursday night football is kind of kicking ass. Uh, so so can't wait to watch the games. Let's get into the weekend. We'll see you guys on Sunday morning. Thanks for listening.